Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I appreciate those of you that go on to Apple and rate this podcast and write a review. I read those. We get about three a month. And thank you for doing that. That's the best thing you can do to support this um, platform. You can't donate, um, but I appreciate you sharing the podcast with others. And our listenership continues to grow. And that's because brave people step forward with a tremendous courage and share their story. And they're um, the, go- the engine that makes this podcast go. They're the heroes. So um, we have one of those um, people today, my friend Aubrey Daybell. Welcome to the podcast, Aubrey. Thank you. Tell us how to spell your last name and s- pronounce it correctly. Okay. I'll spell it as my mom always does. It's D as in dog, A, B as in boy, E, L. And it's Dable. Dable. So there you go, listeners. Um, Aubrey is um, 20 and she's going to share her story as a bisexual Latter-day Saint. Um, She's a BYU Provo student. She was raised in Southern Oregon. She's she's a member of the church. um, And... Before we visited, I I asked her, why would you like to do this podcast? It's not a question I ask everybody because I kind of know usual answer. She says, I felt really alone as a bisexual Latter-day Saint, and I didn't know anybody like me. And I just want to do this out of love to help any others that are alone and wondering if anybody's like them and how they're making their way forward. So Aubrey is going to share her story. And those of you that are LGBTQ, hopefully it'll help you. And um, the rest of of us that are allies or local leaders or parents that are trying to understand how to better support an LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, we pray this will help you and ideas will come into your mind, tools, gospel principles to support somebody that's walking a, a, a harder road. Is that okay for an introduction, Aubrey? Yes, that's perfect. Aubrey has the cutest dog. Sometimes I wish these podcasts were not audio because... I like dogs. We've never talked about dogs in 600 plus episodes and she's the cutest <laughs> poodle um, that looks just so calm. And I'm thinking of getting a dog. We grew up with miniature schnauzers in our home. As a kid, I grew up with miniature schnauzers and we raised our kids with miniature schnauzers. Now our kids are gone and my wife said, well, why don't you get a dog? And I dismissed that idea. Then it kind of stuck in my brain long enough. I'm thinking maybe I should get a dog. At 60, I, you know, I would, I think my life expectancy would still be longer than the dog, but it would be close, (laughs) but we can just enjoy old age together uh, with my wife and I and this dog and our kids. Anyway, I don't want to get too sidetracked into that, but um, because that's not the focus of the podcast. Aubrey's the focus of the podcast. So Aubrey, I'll turn it over to you to share your story. I guess it all started with girls camp. And I remember... Every year I would go and I didn't know why, but I would get physically sick to my stomach. And every single year I would end up bedridden at girls camp. And it was like my worst fear. I hated going, but I couldn't like put my finger on why. Um, And now I look back and I'm like, yeah, I know why. (laughs) But um, I didn't really acknowledge this part of me until high school. And I remember like passing by people and being like, oh, well, that's definitely not a platonic feeling. Um, But I would just kind of sideswipe it and be like, no, everyone's like that, I'm sure. Um, And like, my thoughts don't control me, you know, I can be stronger, I can shove them aside. Until um, I fell in love with my high school best friend accidentally. I just kind of woke up one day and I was like, well, shoot, this is an issue. Um, So that was really difficult. And I remember, so I have scrupulosity on top of that. So I'm a confessor. (laughs) That's part of scrupulosity. Um, Yep. If you don't know what that is, it's religious OCD. So as soon as I like acknowledged this part of myself, I was in the bishop's office. And I was like, my dad was the bishop. So I was like, dad, I'm gay and I'm going to hell and I'm so sorry. Like I'm trying to flip the switch and I don't know what to do. And it was just a mess. But, um, I I would like pray constantly. Like if I just have more faith, heavenly father will take this away. 
um, and it wouldn't go away. And so I just had to start coming to terms with it. And it's taken, that was when I was 15 or 16 and now I'm 20. So five years of learning to be okay with this part of me. It's really brave of you to open up to your parents. In this case, your your bishop and your dad are the same person and just talk about this. So you're doing a great job, Aubrey. It's really brave of you to share this. And um, I'm sure there's other people listening that are 15 years old and in that age group um, that are trying to, and I, it's interesting. You just assume that since you're, you're some, your sexual orientation just sort of condemned you to hell. <laughs> and um, I think we understand that orientation and behavior are different in our church. And Absolutely. we separated those so people can obviously, you know, this is how people come. So that's not a sin, but we younger people, some people may not understand that within themselves and within others. So keep sharing your story. So I guess the next thing that's really important, I feel like that I want to share is like kind of what to do or what it's like to fall in love unexpectedly. I like the unexpectedly too, Aubrey. It's sort of just like, it doesn't sound like you woke up this one morning and said, I'm going to go fall in love with somebody. Oh, no. And that's the hardest part is like, then you beat yourself up and you're like, but I took all of these precautions. You know, I was so careful. And especially with my OCD, I was very like, check every box. I will not fall into this. I will never make a mistake. I have this in the bag. And so like when I had that realization, it was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? I failed. Like I failed my mission. Um, and so I went through that for about two years and just wrestled with it. And it was like, what do I do? How do I cope through this? Um, how do I find God? That was really my main anchor because I've always had like a really strong testimony. I've always been the girl who gets up every fast and testimony meeting and I bear my testimony and I love to raise my hand in church. I just... I really, really love God. He is my best friend. So this was hard to balance being in love with my best friend and wanting that so bad and also putting God first and knowing how to balance that. Like, how do I honor both parts of me? Um, so that was really, really difficult. And it got even more difficult when I told her. And I just kind of broke down and I was like, listen, this is how I feel, but God comes first and he always is going to, you know, but I feel like it's not something I can like hold in anymore. It's hurting me. And so that just ended really badly and that was really hard. Um, but it also opened up my heart. So I was able to um, learn to love and accept myself because this was right during coronavirus and I felt like I lost everything. I lost my best friend. I lost like my senior year of high school. You know, I never got to go to prom. I never got to graduate. I never walked or received my diploma from my principal. And so I was just really feeling broken and defeated. Um, and because of that, because I was so alone, the only person I had was God and my savior. And so in all those days during coronavirus, when we had nothing to do, I would stay up all night long and I would just study my scriptures. Um, and this was like a turning point in my life. This really converted me to the gospel and helped me consecrate my life to the savior. Um, this, is, this is a divine part of me. Heavenly Father knew what he was doing when he created me, and he knew that this was a trial I was going to go through. And I don't even want to call it a trial because it's been a blessing, but it has been hard as well. And so I learned whether I'm straight or gay, he loves me, whether I'm bisexual, whether no matter what my label is, he loves me because I'm his daughter. And um, through that, I was able to learn like, it's okay. If I fall, if I make a mistake, and if I mess up, he has my back. And so just learning to have grace for myself because I never had that before. Um, 
So yeah, losing my best friend sucked and it was really hard, but it really um, led to me relying on the savior and really just connecting with him. I love that part of your story. Um, I love the word, you know, you unexpectedly fell in love and I assume your friend uh, didn't know that those romantic feelings that you had that she perhaps wasn't picking up on. And, and that's sometimes from people, what people tell me is the nature of these relationships, but you bravely opened up and, and it sounds like it just kind of was the end of that friendship and that can be painful. And a lot of times people don't know quite how to respond to somebody that's got, you know, a best friend, um, guide, guy friend to a guy friend, a woman to a woman friend. And often they don't have any tools to know what to do with that. So it seems like, especially in the high school years, that usually doesn't end very well. Not always, but it sounded like in your situation, but I love your courage to open up to her, even though you knew that would risk the relationship. And I love then where you took a really difficult experience. It's a sign of your character. You said, I'm going to work with God and kind of figure more of this out. And I love that about your story is you develop this deep relationship with God and recognize, I think you're, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but who you are, bisexual, gay, is okay with God. And I don't think, listeners, that changes church teachings or church doctrine, but it just puts Aubrey on the same moral footing as straight Latter-day Saints. And she doesn't look in the mirror and feel shame for the feelings she has at times for people. And I think feelings are okay. I think sexual orientation is okay. And I think de-shaming normal feelings that are hardwired in us is okay. Um, I think we make better decisions if we take the shame out of our feelings away and just recognize this is part of how I'm wired. And um, it's okay. And if you've got scrupulosity in there, I think you've got other challenges because if you have feelings for the same sex, I'm not a therapist, listeners, but you know, I hear enough of these stories that you may think, well, you know, this is, you know, I need to confess all of this to, you know, the bishop or the stake president or God. And, and that may give temporary relief for someone with scrupulosity, but just reinforces a cycle. It's like washing your hands. That reinforces the cycle, but exposure response therapy is just you learn not to always wash your hands and live with the dissidents that you you might not always be perfectly clean and that's okay. <laughs> that's kind yeah. of a whole nother story, but I love you turn to God, Aubrey, and I love that you got this personal revelation about how God feels about you. So um, keep sharing your story. I don't, um, you're still kind of in high school. This is, you're part of this terrible class, not terrible class, but the situation around you. I can't imagine um, graduating high school and not having any of those events because of COVID. Our kids were um, out of the home at that time, but lots of neighbor kids and all the honors, all the talks that didn't given, all the things that didn't happen for so many people. You can't just go back and do it the next year because everybody yeah. moves on. So um, you will tell your kids and grandkids about that and they'll go, seriously, you didn't even get a graduation? Um, <laughs> but so keep sharing your story. What comes next in your mind? Continuing, I guess, with the OCD because that was very intertwined with this. Um, I was very obsessed with fixing it. And so I would try to date. And I tried so hard to like force myself to have a crush, you know? On a, on a, we're talking men now at this point. On a boy. Yeah. And so I would go on these dates, but it was so hard. And nowadays people call it the ick. So I don't know if you know what the ick is, but it's like. I don't. <laughs> it's like you go on a date and they're a nice person, but then something happens and you're like, Ick, I can't do this. Like, no, I'm done. And so that happened every single time that I would ever date someone. I, I would just freak out and panic. And I was like, no, this is done. I can't do this. I don't feel safe. Um, but then I would feel guilty because I needed to be dating 
And so that part of high school was really difficult. This inner battle of I should be going on dates. I don't want to go on dates. Going on dates makes me want to throw up. Like, this is so difficult. Um, And then also juggling that with family life. And not just the pressure I had on myself to date, but the pressure that like our culture kind of has on to date, you know, because that's what we're supposed to do. We date and we get married and we have children. And um, so that was really difficult. And it was hard to be in a place where nobody had stood in my shoes. I remember when I told my parents and they tried so hard and did everything they could to be there for me, but just still feeling so alone and not wanting to be fixed or to have like doctrine spewed at me, but to just have someone like wrap their arms around me and be like, I love you so much and it's okay. Like you don't have to go date a boy. You don't need to get married. Calm down. You know, like God loves you. You have a place here. Um, I think it was Ben Shalati. He was talking to Charlie Bird in one of their podcasts. And he said, like, I have a space for you on my pew. And that's always what I've wanted to hear. Um, like, just look at me and say, I have a place for you. I get it. You have these feelings and it can be so controversial, especially like within myself, because it's this battle of this doesn't feel bad. This feels so beautiful. But I also love the church and the church is telling me it's bad. So it's this inner battle. And it's like, but what if I left? What if I stayed? Would I still have a place? You know, so it's just this inner battle. And I I've just always wanted someone to like look at me and be like, it doesn't matter what choice you make, you have a space on my pew. And so that was kind of how, like where my heart was. Um, through that whole situation, just kind of fighting with dating life and family life and trying to figure out my place in the church and in the world and how to be gay enough for the LGBTQ community and churchy enough for the LDS church and just enough for everyone until I realized the only person I have to be enough for like is Heavenly Father. And so that was really when there was a turning point in my life. Good job. Um, it sounds like your parents have been good parents. They may not have, like me as a parent, done everything perfect. But it so- sounds like you. What's what are some of the good things your parents have done? Um, they just sit with me in it. So. There have definitely been a lot of fights, but at the end of the day, I remember one specific experience. Um, It was during COVID, and so I couldn't go into the temple. And the temple is like my safe haven, basically live at the temple. (laughs) Um, But my mom went there, and I was just crying and like finally, like really poured my heart out to her. And I was like, this is where I stand. You know, this is what I'm feeling. And like, she just broke down and hugged me, and she was like, I don't care um which path you take like you're my daughter and I love you and that will never change my opinion of you and that was just like so touching because I'm very stubborn and a little prideful and so a a lot of the battle in me was like I'm gonna fight this until someone says like it's okay if you leave you know I'll still love you and it's like I just want to know no matter what I'll be loved And so then it can be my choice and not somebody else's. Um, So I remember my mom just saying that and I just like felt the spirit come and it was like, you can do this. You know, she's going to love you no matter what. Just trust me and keep walking. And so that's what I tried to do. I love that, Aubrey. And I I love what your mom said. Um, I think as parents, I just, I love what your mom said. Um, tell our listeners why you love the temple. Um, so actually, I used to really struggle with the temple before I got endowed um, until I had a bishop look at me and he was like, Aubrey, you're worthy and you need to get over this. Like, this is the adversary trying to keep you out of the temple. Um, and then he encouraged me to go um, get my endowments out 
And in the endowment session, I have like never felt the spirit stronger. Um, And through the initiatory, it was a really, really life-changing experience. And I just wanted it so bad. I wanted to be there all of the time. So when I was um, attending BYU-Idaho, where I came to Provo, um, that was one of the loneliest times. Like we had said before, it was one of the loneliest times of my entire life. Um, BYU-Idaho really does not have a community for my people. and. it was really hard. My mental health got really bad, but I always felt love and peace when I was in the temple and I would go to the temple like two or three times a week. And it was just this safe haven where I could feel God's love. And like, I was wrapped in his arms and that's always how the temple is for me. When I go, it's like a safe haven from every problem in the world. I can just go, I can feel peace. And my mind is calm and my heart is softened and it's a place where my OCD can't get to me and it's just a breath of fresh air and I love it. That was great. I love the words you use at the beginning of that segment. I didn't let myself have a temple recommend and I think that's only a phrase someone with scrupulosity OCD would say because I think everybody else was telling you you should have a recommend. It sounds yeah. like, it, and you were selling yourself, you made the decision that I wouldn't let myself have a double recommend. And I think that's an insight into your OCD versus your worthiness. And and I love that you got through that and had this wonderful experience in the initiatory and the endowment and recognized you're worthy. And I'm glad for a forceful bishop to kind of said you are worthy. And And I'm grateful for your courage to go. Um, and living with, you know, because we talk about being worthy to go to the temple and people with scrupulosity then go back and everything they've ever thought or done, they, and this, you know this, but just for listeners, they think, well, the bishop really understood everything, you know, then they want to reconfess and that's the compulsion, that's the washing your hands and it gives you momentary relief, but it's not the long-term path to healing. So that was great. Um, talk about... um I'm just looking, we have an outline here, listeners. I don't know, we're kind of in section three. I don't know if there's more in section three or if you want to talk about section four. Um, yeah, well, let's go over one more part of section three and then we can skip to section four. Okay. So another, so I've had a few times where it's just been like smacked in the face. Heavenly Father sent someone into my life and insane like coincidences have happened um, in times where I really, really needed it. So first it was with my friend from high school um, where it was really, really difficult, um, but I needed that experience. Um, And then when I was at BYU-Idaho, I was filling out my mission papers and I was told that I wouldn't be able to proselyte because of different mental health struggles that I face. And it broke me, um, especially because I was already going every through everything with my sexuality. Um, and I just broke down and I was crying um, and I just said this little prayer. I was like, Heavenly Father, I feel like I have no purpose. You know, I I can't serve a mission. You know, I feel like I'm never going to get married. Uh, I just feel lonely. Like, what is it you want me to do? Paul literally says, you know, you have the capability to serve. Go serve. Um, and I was like, I can't even do that. Like, what the heck? I feel like you're taking everything from me. Um, so I said this prayer and I was just like, Heavenly Father, I need you to send me someone and I need you to send them and be a light in the tunnel for me. I need somebody who can show me that I can love and be loved um, and show me that you do have a purpose for me. Um, so that was on Wednesday and I flew home. That was the end of the semester. I flew home for Christmas break. And on Sunday, my best friend's mom met with me. She just happened to be at the singles ward. And so afterwards she met with me and she was like, Aubrey, my parents are 
service mission leaders. Would you consider a service mission? Because she had heard my story. Um, and there's another service mystery in your area and we'll get you guys into contact. Um, so when that happened, like my whole heart was changed. And this service missionary was that light in the end of the tunnel. It was the person who was like, okay, maybe I can do this. You know, maybe God does have a plan for me because he had a plan for him. You know, when, when his life has been so difficult and he's had an insane journey, uh, like Heavenly Father, really has used him as such a blessing to so many people. And so that gave me so much hope. And then I ended up on a service mission. Um, and I I just realized, like, I don't know if I'm going to get married, you know, to a man, to a woman. I don't know if I'll be single. I don't know God's plan for me. Um, but I know that he does have one. And that prayer was answered. Um, and so that was a, a deep connection and love that I found. And it was really unexpected. Um, and then after that relationship kind of, so we both weren't on missions and it was just kind of complicated and we, we got really close and good friends. Um, and then our relationship kind of ended and I met another person and unexpectedly fell in love again. <laughs> and this was really difficult because I was really like, I'm not dating. This is the single life. I am hanging out. I love this. I'm going to school. Um, and, you know, I, I was in a bit of a faith crisis, but I was like, I'm going to find God. I'm ready for this. I'm going to the temple every week. I'm studying my scriptures. Um, but then I really fell hard with the church. And I just, every single Sunday I would go to church and I would walk out crying. Um, I would like leave in the middle of sacrament, just in tears because it was so hard and it felt so lonely and secluding. And again, it was just like, I don't have a place here, you know, like they don't want me. Um, and I know those thoughts are from the adversary, but it felt so real to me. And so I finally decided, I was like, okay, God, I'm leaving the church. I'm not leaving you, but I'm leaving the church. I can't do this anymore. And I had made that choice. Afterwards, I had a friend and um, we quickly became best friends. And it just flipped my world upside down. Um, and I felt so much love. And um, it was just such a huge blessing uh, and so unexpected. And I ended up, we ended up falling in love pretty quickly. And I was so angry. I was like, Heavenly Father, what the heck? I went to church, you know, I did all the things. I didn't want to go to church. And now you're like throwing it in my face. I feel like you're mocking me. Um, and she, it, it was so complicated because she brought the spirit into my life. And I was like, I don't understand this. You know, I've never felt closer to God, but like, I can't have a celestial relationship. Like, what do I do? There feels like no solution. Um, and so that was really difficult and just had to work through that. And so that was the last time that I was like, just hit by a train and I totally fell in love unexpectedly. And Heavenly Father was like, okay, I'm going to really help you out, but I'm also going to make life really difficult. Um, but I've learned so much from that experience. And I was able to really learn like that, that it's not just God that loves me. Like I, I am a lovable person and that sounds so silly, but I just didn't know that for so long. I was like, no, I have all of these problems. I have so much trauma and, you know, OCD and my mission was just really hard and difficult and I couldn't even proselyte and, you know, and I'm bisexual, you know, like all of these things, the list goes on. Um, but I was just shown like, no, I, I am loved, you know, and I, I do have worth despite all of my weaknesses or trials or tribulations and Heavenly Father can put those people in my life. And I have full faith, you know, that she was put in my life for a reason, though I might not know now or ever what that reason will be. 
thank you for that part of your story. And just, I love all these sort of data points or experiences that help write your own story. That's one of the themes I talk about a lot on the podcast is you at the end of the day have to write your own story with God and with Christ. And and you come to these forks in the road if you're an LGBTQ Latter-day Saint of how best to do that. And I think you're doing a good job of just getting a lot of data points in your life, Aubrey. And I sometimes, you know, try to help encourage people to write their own story and kind of come to these forks in the road where they're their personal best. And I think you're doing that as you're just learning a lot about you and, and it's a good you. And even though OCD is hard and sounds like your service mission was hard, your sexual orientation in itself is not hard, but it makes your path more complicated um, within our church. So it's not, I don't like to think of your sexual orientation as like a mental health issue that um, it just, it just, it's who you are. And that in itself isn't a problem, um, but just how to navigate that as a Latter-day Saint, a believing Latter-day Saint can be difficult. So I don't look at these two experiences where you've fallen in love with a, another girl as necessarily um, bad things or necessarily steps backward in your story. I don't know. I'm not, you know, I don't know God's plan for you, but I, I would be at peace that this gives, that these are just helpful data points for you as you're writing your story. It doesn't mean you're going to marry a woman just because you've fallen in love with two women. Um, <laughs> it just, I think it's just you learning about you and learning about God and figuring out your future and doing that from position of strength. So keep sharing your story. There's more parts of it, I'll bet. Yeah, there's, it's a long story. Um, yeah, so my service mission, we could talk about that a little bit because being a service missionary and also being bisexual is a difficult path to walk. And um, I'm sure many returned missionaries or missionaries out there right now who've walked in those shoes know that. And to the missionaries who are about to go on that journey, I am here with you. Um, so in the ending half of my mission, when I moved to Utah, I got to serve um, in Salt Lake at Welfare Square. Cool. And um, at this point, I was publicly out. I had been publicly out for a while. Um, and my companion and I were really close. She became like my actual sister. Like we were just full-blown sisters. Um, uh, but rumors started to spread around the mission because people knew about my sexuality. Um, and around our service assignment, which was really difficult. Um, and one day... My SMLs, my service mission leaders, you can't go back to Welfare Square because these accusations have been made against you. And that was really, really difficult for me. Um, but I st I love Welfare Square. They're still like one of my favorite things that's ever happened to me. I love them. But I remember just breaking down. And I called my mom and I was like, Mom, I've checked every box. Like, I know God loves me. I know I'm good with God. But why am I not good enough for them? You know, I wasn't good enough to proselyte and now I'm getting kicked out of my service assignment. And that was really hard. And it ended up leading to me, um, instead of switching assignments, I'll just end now. Um, but through the months after that, I was able to receive like a lot of healing and forgiveness. For a while, I held so much anger, you know, and I was like, the church hates me. Um, but I was really able to learn, like, the church doesn't hate me. I was definitely wronged and I was definitely hurt. But it, but it wasn't out of anger towards me. It was out of people who like haven't walked in my shoes and didn't understand my heart if that if that makes any sense and so that was actually a lot of the reason I also wanted to come on the podcast because I know there are so many people and it's not their fault you know I was that person before I recognized um 
and came to terms with my sexuality, but they've just never been exposed to this. Um, and, and that was painful, but through that experience, I was able to really show them who I was and share my experience after the fact. And it changed a lot of hearts, but also the beauty of the atonement is we can also feel healing and forgiveness. So that's something I really learned from that experience that was super difficult, but a huge growing experience for me. These are difficult experiences, Aubrey. Um, <laughs> it's not just a one-off. I respect for serving a service mission and um, all the work you did, including Welfare Square. And it sounds like you love Welfare Square and they loved you and you did a lot of good there. And then this experience happened. And um, to me, listeners, anger is a secondary emotion to pain, the pain you felt of being misunderstood um, judged incorrectly, being separate, and that can lead to anger, and that can obviously lead to the church because this is a service mission. So I sort of connect those dots. But I'm glad you were able to get through that and show grace back to, um, and show grace back to whoever, and also had there were people that reached out to you and apologized and recognized that this was painful for you, and but also respect for you to to sort of hold both of these at the same time, your testimony to the church and the test and that the church is sometimes painful for me and sort of live with both of those. Um, and why other members are having a different experience where their church experience may not have anything that's painful. It's, it's the balm of Gilead. And so I hear your story and I think, and we're not done with your story, but I think of our responsibility I think of Elder Gong's talk for some reason as you're talking, where he talked about let's make room at the end. And what can we do as Latter-day Saints to help everybody feel like there's room for them at the end, just like um, in that powerful parable. And so um, then I think of sometimes I talk about square pegs and round holes, and there's a lot of round holes in our church culture where um, or sorry, square pegs where there's a lot of square holes. And well, either way, I guess I'm going to go back to round holes. There's lots of round <laughs> holes and there's lots of round pegs. And sometimes a square peg comes along and you're a little bit of a square peg, Aubrey, because of your sexual orientation and you can't sort of become a round peg to sort of, sort of belong and, and fit in. So what can we do? Well, we could just tell you to become a round peg. and um, But... I think this is who you are. So it's our job, like Elder Gong is inviting us to quite create square holes. Um, so you feel loved and supported and a feeling of belonging and recognizing that we're better off with you um, in our church and you bring unique gifts and perspectives and being part of a marginalized community, you may be able to reach out and help others that are marginalized and show empathy and compassion. So the, the in is stronger um, with you in it. Um, it helps us be able to do more good. But respect for you navigating complicated and sometimes difficult experiences in your journey to try to make the church work. Um, but respect for serving a service mission. We've had service missionaries on, and um, my feeling is those need to be normalized as equal to proselyting missions. And even though you want to serve a proselyting mission, our culture sometimes doesn't see them that way. And then you feel like you're not a real missionary. <laughs> I don't want to remind you of some of the language you might have heard, but I think God would see you equal to a proselyting mission and know the, the desires of your heart and the good you're doing. So I hope as a culture, we start, we improve and recognize all types of service, including military service. I've, um, there's some that feel impressed to serve, um, and it's an honorable service in their country and, and that a proselyting mission or a service mission. And I hope in our culture, we equally celebrate those stories and maybe have homecoming talks for those that have served in the military and share their experience and um, recognize their courage to go serve their country. Um, if that's how they feel best, um, best way that they can honor their baptism covenants is to serve their country. That's a tangent, listeners. I've done two big tangents now, a miniature schnauzers and the military. So 
Back to you, Aubrey. Keep sharing your story. Yeah, so I was actually really blessed on my mission. Um, I was surrounded by so many people who lifted me up, and I never felt like I wasn't a real missionary. Good. Because beforehand, before I served, I did. And I was like, yeah, there's no way. But I was like, I'm not going to be a real missionary. I'm going to, you know, I was built to proselyte. I was not built for service. I love to share the gospel. So I'm going to be throwing away my talents is something that I had been told at one point. And that was really difficult for me. But when I got home, everyone was so supportive. Good. And um, when I met the service missionary who was able to kind of set an example and forge the path for me, um, I was so blessed. And so it, it was really amazing because I had so many people at home that knew me. They knew my story. They knew that, you know, I liked both genders and it didn't matter to them. You know, it didn't change their perspective of me at all. I was so loved and so accepted by so many people. Um, And I just felt lifted up and strengthened. So my service mission was actually beautiful in that way. Um, It was definitely, definitely hard. And I struggled a lot with my mental health and some other things, but I had so much support. Um, And I know that um, that was a true mission because I watched the other service missionaries in my mission and the ones who came before me. And I saw them change so many lives and bring people to the gospel through their service and not the words that came from their mouths. I think that something really important that I want to bring up is um, maybe for parents of um, kids who might be in similar shoes as me. Um, And I can't speak for all kids, but maybe how we can better support our children and stand by them. I know for me, like I said earlier, I just wanted to feel so loved. And I think that's something really important is um, making sure to really be conscious about inclusion. Um, There were times where I felt so secluded because of my sexuality, Um, just comments being made on the sides because people didn't know. that I was bisexual. They just assumed, you know, that I am pretty straight presenting. So that was kind of the assumption about me. Um, And just being really conscious and careful of what we say and making sure that we're speaking with love. And I am totally calling myself out right now. (laughs) I'm like, I need to work on this myself in so many areas because it's not just the LGBTQ community that faces this. You know, we all do in some way, shape, or form. And then just making sure um, that maybe we don't know if our child, you know, what their sexuality is, but that they feel safe coming out and talking about that. I was so blessed to have parents who I could trust and who I could talk to about anything. Um, Was it still scary? Absolutely. It was terrifying to talk to my parents about this part of me. And even though they made mistakes, I knew that I could trust them and that they would work really hard um, to be there for me. And they have, they have proven that and they have stood by my side through every single, um, um, and that was such a blessing. So to the parents out there, just love. I think that's what Jesus would do. And that's all I needed. I just needed to know that my voice could be heard and that when it was heard, it could be validated. I didn't want to be told, yeah, but this is just a phase. (laughs) So I was already telling myself that. (laughs) So that's just a little advice for the parents out there. And then just be really prayerful. Heavenly Father will work with you and he'll be patient. And I know for me, I was really willing to give my parents a lot more grace when they were willing to give me grace. and they've done a really beautiful job at that. It's a great segment, Aubrey. Um, I don't know if your parents are listening, brother and sister Daybell. Did <laughs> I say that name right? 
Daybull. Daybull, like table, but with a D, Daybell. Daybull. Um, credit for you for loving your daughter. I think a general principle is when LGBTQ people can feel the love from their parents and the love from God. I think it's easier than to love themselves. And I generally think they make better decisions because they're, they feel this love. Um, and I call it, and I think sometimes it's this unconditional love that I'll walk with you. Um, however you feel is the best path for you to walk. And I don't think that in, I don't think that causes people to be more likely to leave the church. For example, I think it just helps them to make better decisions um, based on people that love them and they love themselves. And I think they stay closer to God and um, they're not full of shame and self-loathing and perhaps um, acting versus reacting I like the scripture that says act versus, you know, versus reacting to circumstances around us. And um, so I think that's really awesome what your parents are doing and what you're doing. And I've got some questions for you. Do you want to, or do you want to share more of your story? No, ask me whatever you want. So some would say if you're bisexual, um, why come out? Because if you, if you want to marry a man, if you do fall in love with a man and are open to marry a man, you know, he might not be very excited about this part of you and may even not be willing to date you. Um, I, I, that's kind of a cringy comment, <laughs> but some may ask you that. And so just in case someone asked you that, what would you say to that? I would probably, my entire life motto is to be authentic to who I am. And this is a part of me that I hated for so long that I genuinely would have rather been dead than be gay. And that is so common. So I think I earned the right to talk about this. And it's who I am. It's who God made me. And that's my choice. If you're not going to date me because I'm bisexual, I don't want to date you. That's not someone I can be eternal companions with. Um, then I can't be with you. Because I'm not going to be quiet and I'm not going to stay silent because then other people in my shoes are going to feel as lonely as I did. And I don't think that's what Jesus wants. I love that answer. Um, I love that you want to be authentic. And I think healthy marriages um, start with people being completely authentic and completely safe for each other. And, um, and sometimes that's our less, not sexual orientation doesn't fall in this category, but it's our, it's part of our story that we're less proud of. Maybe whatever that is, we're really I'm nervous about opening up to our potential spouse, but often that being authentic can really help a relationship if it's the right person, because they know they can be authentic with you and they don't have to go through this pretend phase <laughs> Um, exactly, and they can be real in the dating process, and maybe they've got things that they've. I, I don't want to put sexual orientation in the bucket of like mistakes or regrets or I might skeleton put it in the skeletons in the closet of our past. Yeah, vulnerability. It's something that takes a lot of vulnerability. So there may be a guy out there, and I don't want to say this prescriptive that you know recognizes just how remarkable um, you are and how much courage you have and, and loves those attributes for your future spouse and recognize that's a healthy marriage if there's a chemistry, obviously, and um, that that can be healthy for kids growing out of a home like that. So um, listeners, we don't talk about the Kinsey scale, but when you said, I'm not sure I'm completely bisexual, the Kinsey scale is sort of the scale, I think it's from zero to six. And and so that means three is bisexual. And then zero, one, two, I think zero is totally heterosexual and six is totally homosexual. I'm making this up because from memory. But if I've got the numbers wrong, the principle applies. And so three is right in the middle and four, five, and six are... And so some people like... 
you know, Tom Christofferson, I've heard him talk about himself. He's, he sometimes adds a number um, jokingly beyond the Kinsey skill to describe how homosexual he is. And I like that about Tom, that he just owns that he's completely gay and he's even one more step than the Kinsey skill. And I think that's just Tom owning who Tom is. And I think that's terrific. And sometimes we have someone on the podcast that is bisexual and sometimes they lean kind of in this maybe one number past bisexual. Does that, do you want to talk more about, because some people would say, well, there's no one really bisexual, either gay or straight. <laughs> and any bisexual, I'm, Chris is cringy again, but you get these comments. Anybody that says they're bisexual is just on the path to coming out as gay. That can be kind of cringy. So do you want to talk about any of those tender topics? Tender questions? <laughs> well, I can definitely say that I've wanted to kiss a boy and a girl. So I don't know what you want to label that, but... Well, that sounds like a three. (laughs) No, I would probably lean more towards like a 4.5 or 5. Okay. Um, But it's just... I don't know. I just love God's children a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I love the where you ended with that question. I just love God's children. Yeah, there you go. Um, I, I'm just very in tune with my emotions and emotional connection is the most important thing to me. Um, and I've connected with both girls and boys deeply emotionally and have wanted like a relationship that way. So it's possible. I am living proof. (laughs) I know multiple people who are the same. And I just think it's a lot more complex than just, I like boys or I like girls. Good. Nothing is that black and white in life. I think that's a really good answer. And I think it comes back to you getting this internalized homophobia out of you and, and owning who you are and, and the shame that comes with internalized homophobia and having, being really difficult to have a relation with God when you can't have a relationship with yourself because you're so feel so bad about who you are that you you're 20 you're not 40 and sort of um owning this and so i i just trust you i'm not your parent or your priesthood leader but i would just trust you that you've done a lot of personal work um a lot of spiritual work and a lot of trying to understand who you are including you know, you've had a girl, you had somebody that you mentioned a girl that you didn't fall in love with. So it's not like someone is bisexual. Sometimes I think people think that someone's bisexual, they fall in love with everybody, um, <laughs> boys and girls. It's just a big, and so I've heard That's that. A hard stereotype. <laughs> it's not a very good stereotype. So, um, so I think it, it's just unexpected sometimes when you'll, this will happen, you know, you'll fall in love with a girl and but you're open and you've had some connection with men before and you said you've had a desire to kiss men. So I think you're in a good spot to just figure this out for your future. And we both recognize that you can fully participate in the church if you marry a man. Um, (laughs) And if you marry a woman, you can't fully participate in the church. So I try not to sort of make you the hero one day and the villain the next day if you choose that path. We both know it's outside the church teachings. And you can't fully participate in the church, but I'm not going to, I'll just have a factual discussion about that without trying to bring language into the conversation that sort of divides us. It's just sort keep it a factual discussion and say, I trust you to, to sort of figure out your way forward. Yeah. So is, is that okay? Do you have any thoughts on that or what things yeah. are helpful people around you? that say to you that are helpful for you or anything else you want to share as we're kind of coming to the close of the podcast? Yeah. So, um, my roommate who is also was my first companion on the mission. She is so supportive and always knows the right thing to say. And it blows my mind. I wish I could be more like her. She's, I like who I am, but she is like phenomenal. Um, but a lot of the times she just sits with me and I love that she's brave enough to hold my hand when I'm struggling and say, I don't know what to say right now, but I'm here. Um, empathy. 
I wanted someone to sit with me through the pain because I knew it wouldn't just disappear. Um, and so I love it when people are brave enough to, to sit back and, and say, I can't fix you, but I'm here with you, you know, lean on me and I'll, I'll be here through it all. Um, I have a cousin who is in similar shoes as me. Um, she's also, um, a member of the LGBTQ community and she will just call me and, and just tell me like, I love you no matter what you choose. And she has chosen a different path than a lot of people in the church, but I absolutely love and respect that no matter what she's like, I don't care if you leave the church. I don't care if you stay in the church. All I care about is that you're happy, you know, and I want you to find that happiness. And so things like that have just been so helpful I've completely broken down and my dad has just given me blessings and just reminded me how much God loves me and that I don't have to walk through this alone. And that even though he doesn't understand it and he doesn't, you know, he hasn't been in my shoes that my heavenly father has and where he can't take it away, the savior can. And that might not be now. But one day he can help me through this. And whatever that means, I don't know the answer. I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I'm not going to pretend to know God's plan, but I do know that whatever it is, it will be in my best interest and for whatever is going to make me the, bring me the most joy. That's a great segment. More things you'd like to share. Um, I guess I just want to share my testimony. That's awesome. I told you guys, I love to share my testimony. So True. I just feel really blessed. Um, I know that the Savior is walking with each of you. And if you have been in my shoes, that you're not alone. There are so many of us. Um, trust me, I know. I have a lot of friends. So if you need friends, reach out to me. Um, and I'm always here. But... Beyond that, I know the Savior is there. And it says that he died and rose again for every single one of us. And he understands everything we go through. And that means he understands you. He understands the crazy confliction within. He understands the battle that you go through every day. The how do I honor both sides of myself? What's right? What's wrong? What path do I take? What if I mess up? Um, he gets it you know, and he's there. He understands the loneliness that you're feeling. Um, and you don't have to walk alone because he will always be there when the world fails and when parents fail and when friends fail and when we fail, he won't fail if we lean on him. And so I just want to say I'm grateful. Um, I'm really grateful for everyone who stood by me in my path and for, the people who've loved me even when I've been really difficult and who are patient when I struggle to have patience for them on my journey. And I just, I love the temple. I already said that, but it's a place where I know I belong and I know that Heavenly Father has a place for me. And I promise you, he has a place for you too. And I say those things in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Aubrey, that was just terrific. Thank you. Uh, you know, if there's friends and family listening that she's named or not named, there's a lot of, I think both of us, I, I just feel impressed to thank you for all the love and support, just like Aubrey has done for her and all the people that sat with her and to try to fix her. You said some great advice to all the rest of us and how to support somebody. So if you're one of those people that have been mentioned or one of the people that haven't been mentioned your specific um, support of Aubrey. Know that you've made a difference, and Aubrey is where she is right now and who she is and be able to bear a testimony like that because of family and friends. And your ability to help others is really high, Aubrey, especially um, other LGBTQ Latter-day Saints that are just sort of understanding this about them and trying to figure it out and feel really alone and not sure how to talk about it or who to reach out or how God will feel about them. You've helped a lot of people that are alone. So great job. Um, well done. And you have a great life ahead of you. And you are young 
and have sort of gotten to where you are at a young age. You're not 30, <laughs> you're 20, and you have a great life ahead of you. And um, you've done a lot of work to get yourself in a really good spot. So this is Richard Os- Osler and Aubrey Daybell. I think I said that right. Signing <laughs> off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>